I, I've been on only like the notes page for a while, so I hadn't seen either of you. And then I switched to the to the video so I could like feel like I was talking to you guys. And both of you went on mute. One of you went on mute for sneezing, and the other one for the cat. Like, this is like so hard to talk to you guys right now. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Lauren Del Cello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor for Water and Waste Digest. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we are highlighting conversations with two amazing women in water on their career journeys, women in leadership, diversity in the workplace, the role of mentorship, and more. Plus, the two women share advice for young professionals entering the water industry. For this episode today, Katie interviewed Cindy Kranzler, Vice President of Sales for Krauss USA and Vice President of Sales for Mueller Systems. And I talked with Maria Lehman, who is the Director of Infrastructure for the U.S. at GHD, a global engineering consultancy. So the format of this episode is a little different than usual. Rather than um, bringing some news for discussion, we wanted to just bring you straight to these interviews since they're so full of good information. But first, we wanted to touch briefly on kind of what these conversations mean to us. So, Bob, do you want to share a little bit about what this uh, special episode means to you? Yeah, so this one is – it's an important one to me specifically because I – primarily feel that I work with women. I, uh, our team, for example, here for Talking Underwater and each of our individual brands for Water and Waste Digest, Stormwater Solutions, and Water Quality Products, on an editorial side, I'm the only male. So I'm in constant, constantly working with women, and I see the value that women play in my life. Um, but then I also, a lot of the people that I communicate with externally for articles and whatnot, and especially in thought leadership positions, are also women. So I do... To me, I really want this episode to serve in a way that's kind of the whole representation matters thing for me, where if if there is a woman who's interested in joining this industry and they can see someone like them in a position of responsibility and authority, it gives them the opportunity to achieve that, or they recognize that that opportunity exists, actually. And I think that's a really important message to send, so I hope that in some way, this episode can kind of serve as that um, because there are tremendously Im- important and wonderful women in this industry, um, not the least of which was our first WWE industry icon. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it's I think it's just really important. It's hard for me to kind of put it all into words, but that's, the I think, the primary thing for me that I really want to share here. But then the other thing, too, is I am here a lot to listen so I can understand where they're where they where they all are coming from, where these where, where these what women are coming from, where you guys are coming from, with challenges and difficulties in the industry, so that I can communicate that more effectively and produce content that is meaningful for you guys as well. So, to me, it's it's a it's a lot of factors, a lot of variables at play, and kind of balancing them all is really challenging. But like that's part of the whole job. So uh, I hope that that makes sense to you guys uh, for kind of what I, what my feeling is on it. Um, but yeah, I think it's like an incredibly important thing and it dovetails a lot with a lot of the diversity things that we've already been talking about this year. It's just maybe a little, 
it's narrower in some ways and more expansive in others. It's a very um, different type of conversation. Katie, what are your thoughts here? You know, I think that interviews and conversations like these in any industry are so important to have. And so I think that the advice and insight that um, Cindy and Maria provided to us is really valuable and will be valuable for anyone in the industry. It doesn't have to be just valuable to women. I think anyone can get some kind of insight and advice from them. Um, but I do think that elevating these conversations is important. So for me, this episode is a step in the right direction to do that. And I hope that we can have more conversations like this in the future. Um, I know as someone, you know, I haven't been in the industry that long, just a little bit more than a year. So I really enjoyed my conversation with Cindy and just hearing from someone who has been in the industry for a long time. Um, she talked a little bit about how, you know, she is no longer the only woman around, you know, woman in, in the room anymore. And so I think it's really, um, you know, inspiring to hear that. And I, um, you know, appreciate her and Maria sharing their insight. Um, so I'm excited for our listeners to to hear from them. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you. And this this episode means so much to me personally as well. Like as a woman in water in the industry, I try to be involved in these conversations. I'm a member of the Water Quality Association, Women in Industry Advisory Board. And, and those who know me know that I tend to ask tough questions about what it's like to be the only in the room. But I think these conversations are so vital and to see people in positions of leadership that are like you, re regardless of whether that's gender or whatever may, that may be, it it's it's a driving factor. And my conversation with Maria was so enlightening, and I hope that listeners find that as well. But she really stressed throughout the conversation that uh, we can't move forward as an industry while ignoring part of our workforce and not shepherding that through the pipeline. We're not seeing with a holistic perspective and driving us as an industry to be the best that we can be. I think that's so important to get that representation and um, understand as a whole. But I do hope listeners enjoy this conversation or the subsequent conversations and that we can continue them. So we hope that you reach out to us with comments or questions or thoughts. So now we've got that first interview. Katie, if you'd like to introduce your conversation, please. Yeah, thank you. So I spoke with Cindy Krantzler, Vice President of Sales for Krauss USA and Vice President of Sales for Mueller Systems. She reflected on her career path and accomplishments and also shared advice for those just getting their start in the industry. So without further ado, here is our conversation. Hello, everyone. Today I am joined by Cindy Kranzler, Vice President of Sales for Kraus USA and Vice President of Sales for Mueller Systems. As part of our Women in Water episode, Cindy is here to share with us a bit about her career, accomplishments, and advice for those just getting their start in the industry. So Cindy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Certainly. All right. And so just to get started, can you share with us how you got your start in this industry? Sure. Uh, so as it, with a lot of people, I got my start through somebody that I knew, an introduction uh, to uh, someone in the industry. I uh, had been in the sporting goods industry, so it was an interesting conversion. But uh, I knew somebody uh, that had a friend who owned a water distribution company. So he was kind enough to introduce me. I ended up working for that company for quite a number of years. 
uh, in the Albany, New York area. And then from there, I went to work for one of the uh, suppliers to us, a manufacturer, which was Badger Meter at the time. And um, from there, uh, went on to spend uh, over 20 years with Badger Meter. Gotcha. And um, how long have you been uh, in your position now? Okay, so I left Badger Meter in October of 2016 for Crouch USA and uh, to run their North American market for the U.S. and Canada. And then at the in December of 2018, Mueller uh, Water Products acquired Krauss International and USA. So I've been uh, in a dual role um, well, since October of 2019. I've done a dual role uh, and was just doing the Krauss USA piece after the acquisition uh, from 2018 through last September. Okay. Gotcha. And so I know you mentioned that you were in the, you know, sporting good industry before this. So um, I take it this is not kind of industry you always planned on being on, or was it always um, something you thought of doing? No, I didn't know anything about the water industry at all <laughs> until I got with it. It was quite the learning experience. And at the time I became involved, which was the mid 80s, early to mid 80s, it was very much, um, a male-dominated industry, and I believe I was the the only female in New York State in the water industry when I first started. Um, learned quick, uh, just by hands-on and getting to meet customers and through uh, good water organizations like American Water Works and National Rural Water Association and all the good uh, associations that are available through the water industry. And um, my career took off from there. Uh, it's great industry to be in. Very few people leave it. And uh, there have been a lot of changes over the years. It certainly looks different today than it, it did when I started in, in the mid-80s. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, what are some of those ways that it looks different today than it did back then? Well, when I started, like I said, I was probably, I know I was the only female in New York State in, in that industry, as in, particularly in, from a sales perspective. Um, now, uh, between then and now, I've seen things transition considerably. There's so many opportunities, just water industry as a whole, but particularly for women, anything from engineering to water quality to sales uh, like I do work with good companies uh, from the distribution end of things, which is where I was fortunate enough to get my start, as well as through manufacturers like, you know, Badger Meter or Mueller Water Systems and products and engineering, water engineering. There are even tracks at certain universities now where you can uh, follow a water, women in water or a water type track for engineering or for quality or for management, system management. So the opportunities that exist now didn't exist at all when I first got started in the industry. Okay, awesome. And I know you touched on, you know, different associations. So how important do you think that, you know, maybe volunteer and association involvement is in the industry and how did it help you? Uh, I, I think that that's critical for success. First of all, these organizations are run by volunteers for the most part. So active involvement by the membership is critical to their success. 
It's also critical, I think, to a, a successful career path in the water industry because you meet people from all all different segments of the industry. It could be wastewater, could be the engineering teams, uh, people that write specification work, the manufacturers, uh, the quality uh, folks, as well as the people that run the water utilities across the, uh, the U.S. and actually worldwide, getting to network with them and understand their problems. So if you're selling something, like in my case, you get to understand what their problems are, what are they trying to solve, so you know if you have a solution for them. And if you don't, you probably know somebody else in the industry who, who might be able to help them. So the networking component of it is, is invaluable. Um, I became involved early on at the uh, coaxing of uh, the distributor that hired me in, in Albany and never looked back. And I've got on the board for New York State, AWWA, went up through the chairs um, and became uh, chair of the New York State section uh, for a for, uh, number of years. And the relationships I built at that time I uh, have today, I mean, most of the people in the industry that I've known for this long are, are personal friends of mine as well. And I've been able to mentor other people coming into the industry, not, not just uh, women, but men also. But to see the number of women uh, that have been on boards, whether it's New York State or AWWA, uh, national or international, um, ha has been refreshing. And um, we've come a long way, certainly, since uh, since my start. Yeah, definitely. And I um, have also um, read that you are involved with Ride With Purpose, that organizes the Water Buffalo Charity Motorcycle Rides uh, that yep. at water industry events. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the, the group got started a number of years ago. Gosh, forget how many now, but well over 10, probably 12, 13 years ago. A group of water professionals were riding to conferences anyway. Uh, everybody from engineers to uh, water utility operators, et cetera, manufacturers, reps like myself. And uh, they said, well, what if we what if we could do this for a purpose? So they pulled uh, this group together, which now when we ride into, uh, we ride into AWWA, the ACE conference, and we ride into WEFTEC uh, in other years other than COVID years. And what we do is um, each each rider member has a vest, and on that vest are patches. And each one of those patches represents a uh, a donator, a contributor to the to the group, to the organization, and all of our money goes to uh, support Water for People, which helps uh, developing countries get new water systems, put in new water systems. Well, we don't just build it and leave. You know, we build it and make sure they know how to operate it and maintain it afterwards, so it's sustainable. Uh, safe water uh, for these communities where very often uh, women uh, cannot work, children cannot go to school because they spend their whole day gathering water from unsafe sources like streams and rivers, etc. But they have to spend their whole day bringing water back to their village or their community versus get educations or, you know, jobs in the job market. So we, we feel it's very valuable We've raised well over a million dollars over our time uh, frame that we've done it. And uh, we've got, even across the water buffaloes, 
uh, in the Ride with Purpose group, we have a significant number of women as a member of that group that all ride into the conferences also. And um, it, it's a good group to belong to, and it, it's a great cause. Water for People does a, a fantastic job as an organization. What have been some of your biggest accomplishments throughout your career? I think accomplishment, obviously, I've, I've climbed during my career. Um, I started out in the sales position for distribution in New York State, went on to sales for, for a manufacturer within New York State, uh, and then gradually worked my way up to regional manager and then director of sales uh, for Badger Meter, and then uh, now VP of sales for the, for the uh, Mueller Systems Group, as well as uh, the Krauss USA group uh, here in the U.S. and Canada. I think my uh, my tenure on the board with New York State AWWA uh, was invaluable to me. Uh, in my career, the relationships that I that I built, um, not just from a professional standpoint, but a personal standpoint. Uh, these are people you can reach out to all the time. We support each other. Uh, we help others get into the industry. And uh, go as far as they can if they have the interest. So I think those are probably some of my, my largest accomplishments. Awesome. Thank you for sharing those. And um, kind of in a different direction, what are some of the biggest challenges you, you have faced during your career and how have those helped you grow? I think early on, like I said, I was the only female in New York State. Um, but I do have to say that the the support of not only my coworkers and the distribution uh, network that I worked for, as well as people in the industry, um, people always willing to answer your questions, help you along. Did I have to work a little harder than, than maybe a, a male counterpart at that time? Maybe, uh, but by the same token, I, I've made a very successful career out of it. So, so maybe, uh, having to work a little bit harder was okay, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm not one to, to back down from a challenge. And um, I, I would say anybody looking to come in, even though things have changed a lot, it's still a, a very strong male-oriented uh, industry. Uh, but if people, particularly women, are not shy about that, don't be afraid to ask for help, everybody will help you. Uh, don't back down to, to some of the challenges and just go after what you want and, and you'll be successful. Yeah, definitely. And going off of that, I know you said you were the only woman for a while. So how important today do you think that, you know, female mentorships and having female colleagues is to, you know, younger females entering the industry? I think it helps a lot, particularly if you're coming from a totally different industry. Um, I mean, I didn't pay any attention to water and water systems before I got in the industry. You know, you turn the you turn your faucet on and water comes out and then you're all good, right? So I didn't pay any attention to that. So it was quite a learning process. So if you're coming from the outside, um, I think it's good to be able to look to somebody who who's been through it. They weren't born into it. I don't think anybody's born into uh, what they end up doing for their living. But having somebody who's who's been through the process, knows the ropes, has been kicked down a few times maybe, 
uh, and had to learn along the way, I, I think is very beneficial. And, and you see, you see that you can be successful, right? You don't say, okay, well, can I do this or can I not do it? You've got some examples of people who have, who've done it. They've been successful, not anywhere near how they started their career out, uh, but it's where they ended up and, and you can be successful. So not be afraid of, of the unknown, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And you're kind of leading right into my next question is, do you have any advice for young women or anyone in general that are just beginning their careers? I would, you know, just say, you know, follow your, your passion, your dreams, go after it. Um, look at all the opportunities, you know, don't box yourself in thinking, well, I'm, I want to go down this path, but there might be four or five different avenues within the water industry you could pursue, and one of them might be a better fit for you than some others. You know, not everybody's cut out for sales, but maybe uh, you would be a good water operator or uh, manage the water system well, or maybe you've got uh, the aptitude uh, to be an excellent engineer uh, in the water world. So to explore all the avenues, Decide what you want. Go after it. Don't back down. And don't be afraid to ask the people in the industry for some help. You know, whether it's an introduction or how did you get here or where can I learn this? Uh, don't be afraid to, to ask questions along the way. That's awesome advice. Thank you. Um, Cindy, those were my questions for you, but is there anything else you want to add before we sign off? I don't think so. I think we covered most of it. I mean, the water industry is a fantastic industry to be in. Very few people leave it. They may change hats like I did. I went from, from Badger to Cross USA, uh, but every move has been a good one. And um, it's just a great industry, growing industry. Water will always be at the forefront more and more <laughs> as it becomes more scarce. And uh, clean water for, for the world is, is certainly a uh, a high priority. So it's a great industry to be in, so don't be afraid to, to get into it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cindy. I really appreciate it. Okay. Hopefully I answered your questions. You definitely did. Thank you. <laughs>Thank you so much, Cindy, for that interview and for sharing all that insight. I know that, um, you know, Cindy shared a lot of really good advice in that interview, but two of the big takeaways I pulled out from that interview and remind myself of are, she said, don't box yourself in and also don't be afraid to ask people in the industry for help. I think both of those things are so easy to talk yourself out of, whether it's out of intimidation or just being shy or just feeling like you're so new to the industry. Um, but when she talked about, you know, saying don't box yourself in, she was saying, you know, there's so many different facets in the water industry and, um, you know, to really keep your, keep the door open to other opportunities that might lead you down a different path. And then, you know, being new and newer in the industry, it can be intimidating to ask people in the industry for help. But I think that everyone I've encountered has been more than willing to explain things to me and to have conversations with me. So I just want people to really pay attention to those two things and, you know, to remind yourself that asking for help is such a good way to learn as much as you can about the industry. And that kind of also touches on, you know, the importance of involvement that Cindy and I talked about. I think that no matter what your role is, it's important to be involved in the industry, not only to network and meet new people, 
but also just to keep a pulse on the industry and see what's trending and what's changing and, and who's out there and who's new. Um, so those are my big takeaways from my conversation. So again, thanks, Cindy. I, I think that she provided such great insight. Yeah, I wanted to bring in one other aspect that she talked about too, that she she mentioned the the efficacy of hard work and how she likely did have to work harder than her male counterparts at times, but she also recognized too that she's now in a VP position and that without hard work, she may not have even been able to get there regardless of whether she was working harder than her counterparts or not. Um, so I thought that was an interesting takeaway, but I think highlighting the fact that women oftentimes do have to work harder than their male counterparts for the same level of recognition is an important thing to highlight. So. Yeah, and that's actually something that Maria in this next interview touched on quite a bit too on uh, the evolution of her career and how at times she had to fight way harder than her male counterparts to be seen and be heard and have a seat at the table, so to say. Um, truly enlightening conversation. So without ado, let's head to that next interview where I spoke with Maria Lehrman, Director of Infrastructure for the U.S. at GHD, a global engineering consultancy. My conversation with her covers Maria's professional journeys obstacles she faced along the way, and the role of mentorship. We also dug a little bit into the role of diversity and representation as a vital driver for solution development. So I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Welcome to Talking Underwater. I'm joined today by Maria Lehman, who is Director of Infrastructure for the U.S. at GHD, which is a global engineering consultancy. Maria has more than 40 years of leadership and technical experience in the public and private sector, so I'm so excited to be speaking with a seasoned leader today on the vital issues of diversity and inclusion, particularly for women in infrastructure and engineering, and I'm really looking forward to a lively and engaging discussion together. So thanks so much for your time today, Maria. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call and putting me on. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun, I'm sure. But first, I'd really just love a little bit of background on you and your professional journey. Did you always know you wanted to work in infrastructure and engineering? And what's kind of your professional trajectory been? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I actually came upon engineering in kind of a um, an interesting way. Uh, I went to a very blue-collar high school, um, and our math department chair was an extremely good teacher. Um, I took, this was a long time ago, so there weren't AP courses at the time. But we did have calculus as an offering as a senior. And he he used to teach in a math, in a method that you learned it through osmosis. Um, he was just an incredible math teacher. Mm-hmm. He loved chocolate cake. So somebody would always bake a chocolate cake. So one class, we would have a party a week, right? I mean, it was that kind of a, we tried not to learn, but we all learned well. And out of that um, class, um, when you look at my graduating class, and it was a small school, but if you look over even like a decade, about only 10% of the kids went on to college. And of those, like 90% became math majors or engineers. And I truly believe it was because you had this math department that, you know, we learned the the math. It came easy. It wasn't 
projected as difficult, and uh, and we went on to do great things. Um, I actually met my husband while I was in high school. I dated his bro- younger brother. Uh, he was in college to be a civil engineer, and that's how I decided on civil engineering. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really <laughs> awesome. Um, I definitely want to come back to that mentorship element here in a little bit. That is so cool to hear. But I do want to ask you, so prior to that, what had you anticipated your career trajectory might have been? Or were you just figuring it out as you go? Well, I love math and science, but I really thought I was going to end up being a lawyer. My dad was a lawyer, and um, and I really thought that's where I was going to go. Uh, but I really didn't like like rote memory. You know, rote memorization didn't do it for me. I really liked the kind of applied science and, and pro- problem solving. And so through this teacher, um, it opened up the possibilities. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's what's your journey been like from there? How did you go from um, in, inspired to creating actual action and creating a really sustainable, wonderful 40-year career out of that? Well, I was uh, I was fortunate. Um, I actually graduated in 1981, and um, and that was the year where only 40% of engineers got jobs. We were in the middle of a bad recession in the U.S., mm. and I was fully ready to go on to graduate school to get an MBA. And I had even in my um, last year taken, you know, my non-tech electives so I could apply them so I could get that MBA in a year because I thought for sure I wasn't going to get a job, and I did get a job. I was fortunate enough to to be doing computer modeling for flood insurance studies actually at that time because most people were scared of the computer mm-hmm. at that point, right? And like we had secretaries that would quit because um, they liked their Selectric and the mag card machine was going to steal their souls, right? So they there was a lot of, was, <laughs> you, you got a lot of wow. older, oh yeah, there was a lot of older people in the business at the time that just, you know, they they wouldn't give up their slide roll. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to be doing um, what was then um, HEC 2 and HEC 1 runs, which is now HEC RAS, uh, to do water modeling and um, and really realized that, you know, my first kind of thing that I really chunked into was teaching people that the computer was their friend and not their enemy um, and kind of doing, you know, what you would now call the, you know, the yellow dummies book for whatever it is, Right. And did brown bag training to get people to understand this is how you turn it on. Because people really didn't even know how to turn things on, more or less run it, and make it less scary. Um, so I I did that, had a lot of support from, from my office manager, which was my boss's boss. And he made me get involved with the American Society of Civil Engineers. Um, he was like, you have to go, you have to make time. Um, I ended up having three kids in the decade following and, you know, he dragged me to meetings and, you know, you have time, you'll figure out how to take care of the client. You really need to, to reach out to other people, understand what other people are doing and get that cross fertilization going. Um, And so I've been involved in both technical and trade organizations my entire career as kind of the, the door opening to, as you talked about with mentoring, I don't have a mentor. I have hundreds of people I can call for whatever, to kind of get their read on something. Because when you're a consultant, 
um, you need all the answers for everything yesterday and to do it under a dollar, right? Um, everybody wants you to, to be expert and to be efficient and effective. And sometimes that's difficult. And so you really need to know how do you reach out and touch people to help you. So on mentorship, it does sound like there have been several key people in throughout your career that have really helped propel you to the next level, so to say, and kind of latch onto your passion. Um, how have you gone about finding those people? And also, are you a mentor now? I mean, it sounds like it's a very valuable part of your professional development, so I couldn't imagine any other way. Yep. Right. Um, well, I think, uh, first of all, you have to have a very special person if it's mm -hmm. somebody in your um, chain of command. There are some cases where that can happen, but for the most part, who's going to ask a really stupid question to their boss or to somebody who could get to their boss, right? right. So uh, I think it's really important that you find um, whatever the groups are. And, you know, that could be the Water Environment Foundation. It could be AWWA. It could be APWA. It could be ACEC or ASCE. But find an organization where you can have those conversations be, with people that maybe are a few years older than you are and make friends with people your age. Um, I tell that to university mm -hmm. students all the time. Look around. You need to stay connected to these people because they're going to move up in their career at the same time you are, and you're going to need their help at some point. Yeah. Um, that's who wins. The one that's got the best ability to get answers to get creative to have somebody tell them no you're crazy that's not going to work uh, and I think that's even more important if you're a woman in this business mm -hmm. the problem with being a woman um, in the engineering business is that we all tend to be a type personalities because if you're not you kind of get lost in the shuffle yeah and th there's a lot of people out there that are kind of interested in watching you fall uh, and so you you almost have to be on like hyper alert. And yeah. so it's important to have people to vet things out, to figure things out so that you're more confident in what you're about to embark on. I mean, it's never yeah. been a, it's never been neutral to be a woman in my entire career. And mm -hmm. that frustrates me. Um, I have three sons and married, and I have two granddaughters, so I have granddaughters that I can work on that mentoring piece with. But um, <laughs> there, uh, you know, it's always either an advantage or a disadvantage, and sometimes you don't know what it is, and you have to figure that out. I mean, I've had clients, you know, in the '90s, they tell you, "Well, I don't believe you because I don't think you're any good of an engineer because you're a woman." I mean, in in the 2000, the decade, this last decade. I actually had somebody I was working with, um, you know, the whole Me Too thing, introduced me as somebody's concubine because he thought he was being cute. Um, so there's still a whole lot of that stuff that goes on. And so you have to really be comfortable in your technical abilities and in your own skin. And you don't do that without help from others. Yeah, that's that's brutal. But as a woman myself, I... I hear you, absolutely. I want to come back to key challenges and obstacles that you faced along your own professional journey. You know, you just, you did share a short story, but what have been some of the biggest challenges and 
any advice on how to face that? Yeah, well, um, first of all, until they figure out the plumbing issue, being a woman is different than being a guy. And there's a lot of guys that kind of don't get that um, still, right? So uh, they act different about different – men act differently about different things. I mean, I can remember being pregnant with my second son and being at a meeting, and I was probably due in, I don't know, two, three weeks, um, and have – somebody stop a meeting because I started rubbing my stomach. Well, you know, when you're eight and a half months pregnant and you got an elbow in, you know, in your chest and you got another leg sticking out on your stomach, you get a little uncomfortable and you're sitting in a meeting. I was like, well, you know, we don't want you stressing out. And it's like, look, if I need to leave, I'll leave, you know, Mm -hmm. just relax. It's all good. Um, I remember going to a business meeting, um, very pregnant. And look, you you think you should be there. You know, what happens if you go into labor? I said, you're going to call 911 and they'll take me to the hospital. It's not a big deal. So, you know, there's still, there's that whole thing there that, um, you know, if men weren't actively involved or haven't had that situation themselves, um, that's always still an issue. And it's actually kind of funny to me. But, I mean, I think uh, in the the 80s and the 90s, there wasn't the political correctness you have right now. If somebody had a problem with you, they told you. And then I could figure it out and I could deal with it and I could prove them wrong. Um, sometimes somebody who is portraying to be your best supporter in today's day and age is actually your biggest detractor. So that's difficult because you have to manage through that. You know, from my perspective right now, um, when I talk to people about, you know, the whole topic of diversity and inclusion across, you know, not just gender, across all yes. areas. Yes. It's simple. It's mathematics. Okay. If you look at the construction industry as a whole, and I'm talking not just engineering, I'm talking everything from laborers and operations mm-hmm. and maintenance people and waste treatment plants, all the way up through presidents of companies. The average age in that demographic is somewhere around 50. You have to fill those roles. Mm -hmm. You are not going to fill it with 30% of the pipeline. It's that simple. So if you stay with, you know, what I have, you know, um, talked about what the industry has been in the past and is working to break is the pale, male, and stale, right? Um, (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear. There's, you know, it's a small, it used to be the pipeline. It's not the pipeline anymore. It's a small part of the pipeline. So if you want to fill those positions, you need to start working on bringing people up to be able to take on those roles, whether it be a blue collar or whether it be senior, you know, on the engineering side. And that has to look like what the pipeline looks like. So it's going to be, brown and black and Native American, and it's going to be, you know, the LBGT, it's going to be women and it's going to be men. It's a whole mix because the math doesn't lie. You're not going to get what you need out of a small sliver of the population. So it's not even about being enlightened and about being equal and about everything else. It's plain and simple mathematics. Yeah, well, I do appreciate that you brought up that diversity doesn't just mean gender divisions. Absolutely. I, though I do find your experiences 
very insightful, that's 100% true. So beyond, as you call it, the mathematics, why is diversity mm -hmm. and representation, why can that be a vital driver for solution development, for uh, driving new tech solutions in the industry? I think the the best example of that um, is when Ford, Ford Motor Company, came up with, they put an all-women's team in charge of doing a minivan, all right? And one of the biggest technologies that came out of that, two of them that came out of that, one was um, the idea to have the door opener where you wave your foot, right, to open the back door of the minivan. Mm -hmm. And the reason why you needed that is because a mom has a kid on one hip and a grocery bag on the other, and how am I, without putting everything down, opening the back door? Mm -hmm. If you don't have that experience because you haven't done that, you would have never thought that. And it was ingenious. It was simple, but it was ingenious. I think the storage in a vehicle, <coughs> in a minivan, the same process, that they, you know, the, the pull-up where you can put stuff under the floor, Um because you didn't want kids digging in the stuff you're putting there, okay? So I think there's, you know, when you bring people of different backgrounds, and that's everything that I talked about, there are different things that are hot buttons for people, and it makes for a better solution. You have, you know, a lot of different perspectives, and if you can have an honest and open conversation with those people about the good, the bad, um, you can come up with a better because of that. Yeah. So you talked a little bit earlier about how you've learned from some folks that you mentor, but how have you seen diversity and inclusion evolve? I mean, you're certainly welcome to speak as broadly as you'd like to this question, but I imagine over the time period it'd be quite a bit. I think it has, but, I, but I'm very disappointed at how slow it's been. Um, I think, um, you know, when you consider that it's really two generations since I graduated from college and how little it's changed, I mean, the legal and the medical profession now have more women entering college than they do men. Um, it's much more representative of the overall demographic in American society. Uh, the legal profession and the medical profession is not more difficult than engineering. Um, so why is that? Are we are we still selling something wrong to people that they don't understand that they can really participate? You know, are we not showing them the path? So I think there's some of that. Um, I do believe that there's um, there's still a lot of mystery. You know, when I meet somebody and I tell them I'm an engineer, oh, you must be really smart. Well, there's a lot of people that are really smart. Why would you say that? <laughs> you know, it's almost like a mystique, right? Um, and so that, to me, I, that hasn't changed. That's been pretty consistent. So I think we have to do better at explaining. I mean, going through medical school is hard, and you need to do a lot of math and science, but it's, it's um, people see it as helping other people, being able to be engaged in a better tomorrow, and so it's worth the effort. I don't know if that's how we sell engineering. I don't know if people think of it as a people-serving profession first. I think they see it as, hard first. Um, and then going back to women, um, I still think that it takes somewhat of, I mean, I know a lot of women who have gone through either a curriculum or have gotten their degree and have left. 
uh, if you look at SWE's statistics, um, I don't remember what the percentage is, but it's pretty high of women who get engineering degrees and after 10 years leave the profession. Because if you're smart enough to do that, you're smart enough to do a lot of things, and they just don't want to put up with the grief. Um, you still really have to be very much a self-advocate or you're going to get steamrolled. Uh, and so some people just wake up one morning and said, I'm done. And so I know a whole lot of people that that has happened to who would be incredible um, contributors to the profession, but just just got worn down. Yeah, well, I hear you. It's it's like you said earlier when you were talking about how you yourself approached some of these challenges. It was, I, I heard you say, for the most part, you figured out what the problem was and figured out how to prove that they were wrong by, um, I guess, proving your worth, which you shouldn't yep. have had to do in the first place. But um, so my last question for you would then be, solutions. You know, you said that this change is taking longer than you would like. How can we address this? How can we as businesses and um, people in the sector work to spark conversations and create better solutions for this? Um, I think there's a lot more focus on it now. I mean, I think a, a lot of this enlightenment that's happening across the country, um, I was quite frankly really um, shocked at the level of conversation um, after uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died uh, about how much she has changed in a very short period of time when you really think about it. So I think there's, there's, there's a lot of focus on it. But I also think part of the issue is um, the pipeline itself and how do we get more people interested. And I think there's a lot of things. I mean, STEM education wasn't in Wikipedia or in Webster's Dictionary a decade ago, it is now. Uh, as as positions evaporate, uh, you know, I think the the estimates are thirty to forty percent of the positions that people that lost jobs through the pandemic, those positions aren't going to be there when you know when the pandemic's over. And engineering, and all the way down to the support ends, right to the operations maintenance, to the construction people. Most of that, while it uses a, a computer as a tool, um, not in my lifetime and not in my kids' lifetime are people going to be replaced by computers because there's too many variables to what you're doing. I mean, even if you have the same piece of property and you're going to put the same foundation, you may have fluctuations in the geology. Um, if it's a dry year versus a wet year, you're going to have to do different things. And computers need, you know, if this happens, then I do this. They can't have all that variability. So because I think if you start the engineering profession now at whatever position and you stay up to the innovations that are happening, you're going to be working there in that profession in 30 years. There's not a whole lot of professions like that anymore mm -hmm. when you consider what's going on. So it's a really good investment. So I think workforce development really has to look at that and how you take some of the people that have been displaced and make them you know, very productive members of this industry. Construction industry is 10% of our GDP. Um, we can't lose, you know, the, the whole um, leadership team in the next five to 10 years without replacing them. That's a problem. <laughs> well, thank you, Maria. That is 
about our time. I do so much appreciate your time sharing your insight today, and it's been fun learning and chatting with you. I appreciate it. No, it's been very fun. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for that interview, Maria. It was really an absolute pleasure to chat with you. And I have to say this conversation really shook me. Um, it, it just really shook me to my core. And I think it also triggered me to uh, do a subsequent series on WQP profiling other women in water because it's just very vital conversations to have and to learn about your experiences. But one quote that I wanted to stress that really struck me a lot was Maria said, it's never been neutral to be a woman in her entire career. And that was such a powerful line because sometimes it can be an advantage, she said, and sometimes it can also be a disadvantage. I mean, she pointed to times where she had clients who wouldn't work with her because she was a woman or take her seriously. And um, Maria's career is very longstanding. She's worked in the water industry and in engineering for more than 40 years. So as she said, she's seen more than two generations of change uh, come through. But she also really stressed that she didn't feel like she was seeing change happen fast enough. Yeah, there was a lot of change from you know, those earlier moments where she really had to fight tooth and nail to be seen and be heard, but she wanted to, she wants to see more change and, and she thinks that as a society, we should be ready for that is what I felt like she was stressing, which I thought was um, really amazing. But the other point that kind of shook me a lot was she, she opened this conversation up to cover more than uh, diversity and inclusion that speaks to gender issues. And I could tell she was really passionate about um, diversity and inclusion as a whole across all demographics and the spectrum of our society. And she said, quote, it's simple, it's mathematics. If you look at the construction of our industry as a whole, the average age in that demographic is somewhere around 50 and you have to fill those roles. You won't fill the role with 30% of the pipeline. It's just that simple, it's math. And I love how she looked at it really holistically in that way, and I appreciated her insight. But uh, I don't know, if Bob, Katie, you had any thoughts you wanted to share from that interview that struck you as well. It was so powerful. Yeah, I'll I'll start. Um, you mentioned the the neutral thing. That was also probably the standout thing for me that I recognized in there too. Is that you're either on a positive or a negative. You're never in the middle kind of thing. Um, I'd never thought yeah. about it that way. And that, that's that's a really powerful thing to think about. And, um, and and to keep in mind, I think, for me, too, about what that what what that presents to me and how I'm communicating with people and working with people in the industry, not just not just with women, but people of color as well. Um, what 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 because I imagine this extends to that experience also. Um, and then you met, you mentioned the pipeline thing as well, and I think that that uh, gets back again to this whole representation matters thing that I mentioned at the top of the episode, that it's really important that there are – you see people like you in positions of authority and leadership, and the more diverse this industry gets, which it continues to get more diverse, the more – we need to make sure that those leadership positions reflect that. And I think that that will 
take court will happen over the course of time, but it, it has been quite slow. And so I understand where, where Marie is coming from in that regard too. So and I think we talk about uh, filling the pipeline, so to say, a lot on this podcast because that's a, that's a major concern for this industry is as, um, as many folks retire, where is the water workforce going to come from? What are we looking at? So I appreciate that this episode is kind of looking through that conversation and question from a very different lens than I think we've talked about on the show before. Yeah, I indeed. Agree. I wanted to... Sorry, go ahead, Katie. That's okay. I was just going to echo what you said when I agree the standout quote for me from Maria was also about, you know, being neutral and the pipeline. And I think that, you know, change is coming and I agree that it's been slow. I wonder, you know, years down the road, this increase I think we're seeing in elementary schools and high schools is the increase in STEM education. And I just wonder how that will impact the industry, you know, a little bit farther down the road. Um, of course, I wish we could speed that up, but I, I agree that change is necessary, and I and I hope that it's coming. Yeah, I have one more thing. Now that I think about it, she did mention too why it's important for this type of diversity, and she specifically referenced this whole Ford thing and designing a minivan, and yeah. how a team of women helped design this minivan, and they found uh, solutions that are quite elegant to problems that men basically would never discover. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think that that highlights another thing of diversity inclusion across, not just with women, but across um, race, race and all genders, that they will see things from a different perspective than you. And that perspective can help make things more inclusive later down the line. So I think that that's, that's another part of it that um, – that, I, that, that I'm really glad that she mentioned, because I think that that's something that often gets lost in our conversations about diversity is just how important shared perspective is and how your difference of perspective from mine can make a huge difference in how we tackle and solve a problem. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly why, I don't know if you guys remember, as soon as I did this interview, I went to you guys and said, I am so shook. This is so powerful and what we need to be talking about more. So <clears throat> thank you for engaging with us. And thank you for listeners, too, for engaging in this conversation with us. But So thanks again for those interviews, Cindy and Maria. We really appreciate your time and your insight. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping at the end of the episode now. Uh, from WQP, I wanted to let you know, I did mention a little earlier that uh, through our checking in video series on water quality products, Every Friday for the month of November, we have additional conversations with women in water on women, water, leadership, mentorship. The, the conversations really range, and they're really exciting. So I hope you'll join me and check those out. You can find those episodes at bit.ly slash WQP dash checking dash in. Also wanted to let listeners know that Water Quality Products is currently accepting nominations for our Young Professionals and Industry Icon programs. Speaking of uh, solution drivers and change makers, right? You can submit nominations for those at wqpmag.com slash nominations. And finally, you can connect with me at some upcoming virtual shows. I will be at the 2020 ASB Digital Experience as well as the National Groundwater Week show. So I'm looking forward to connecting with you, and thank you again. 
Yes, and for Water Waste Digest, we are doing our weekly videos every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They premiere on Facebook, and then they show up on our website. You can find the playlist at bit.ly slash WWD Weekly Digest. Throughout the rest of 2020, we are featuring all of our 2020 WWD top projects in this video format, so definitely take a look there. And I also wanted to highlight that we'll have a link to the inaugural industry icon piece down below, who was a very prominent woman in water. Um, so it seems appropriate to have her mentioned uh, in the show notes. Looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, me too. And for Stormwater Solutions, we are also accepting nominations for our Young Pros and Industry Icon Awards. These uh, will be the first time we are highlighting these awards in our March-April issue. So please don't hesitate to nominate and be a part of that. Um, for Young Pros, you can visit bit.ly slash swsyoungpros. And for Industry Icon, you can visit bit.ly slash swsindustryicon. And one last note from the podcast host today is we want you to look out for our December 2020 episode, which is also going to be a special format episode. It's our State of the Industry episode, where we'll share some insights with industry leaders from across all different facets of the water sector. So we hope you'll join us listening on that. And Katie, will you take us home there? Sure. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify, and really anywhere else podcasts are available. And you can always reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. Finally, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.